Hello, and welcome to the Cheerleading Junkie, hosted by me, Jill Markley. No matter what part of cheer you're in, school, college, all-star, this is tryout season. It can be a really daunting task to make sure you're planning for a super successful outcome as a coach or gym owner, but also as an athlete wondering and stressing over how to make a team. That's why our guest today is Nessa Warrington. Nessa has been a cheerleader since she was about three, and she has made every team she's ever tried out for, high school, all-star, even NCA staff. She can bring us that athlete perspective, and now as a coach, she brings that perspective too. Welcome to the show, Nessa. Yeah, thanks for having me. Sure. Here at the Cheerleading Junkie, we always like to start by getting to know our guest. Can you take a couple minutes to walk us through who you are and your cheerleading background? Um, sure. Well... I'm Nessa. <laughs> I'm 21 years old, and I'm about to graduate from Birmingham State University. Um, other than work, school, and cheer, I like to watch TV with my fur baby, Winston James. <laughs> and as for my cheer background, I cheered competitively for from about 3 to 20 years old. I cheered almost every level of all-stars. I also did Pop Warner, middle school, high school, and college cheer. Um, I began coaching when I was 16, and I've coached both cheerleading and gymnastics with kids ranging from ages 3 to 22 years old, and I was on the NCA staff for about two years. Excellent. Thank you. So in this particular episode, what I really want to accomplish is to be able to try to help people, athletes and coaches, get ready for tryouts. But let's start with the athlete side. Um, so how, as an athlete, do you go about getting ready for a tryout? Well, you practice. So you want to make sure that you're walking into tryouts, putting your best foot forward. For me, this meant knowing the tryout material like the back of my hand, knowing which tumbling skills and jumps I was going to do ahead of time. If you're going, if you're able to go to tumbling classes before tryouts, you definitely should. I never went into a tryout not knowing what I was going to do. Oh, that's good advice. So I guess that's the process to help that you follow to feel really prepared is just go to all the clinics, learn the material, stuff like that? Yeah, um, you just want to make sure that you're totally prepared. You never really want to walk into something feeling like you have no idea what you're doing. So if you practice it and if you go to the tumbling clinics and you know which skills you can do the best and the ones that you feel more, most confident in, then you really have nothing to worry about when it comes to the actual tryout day. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot a real lot of sense, actually. Cool. So is there anything you do that you see as kind of unique to prepare for tryouts? Um, yeah. With, like, a cheer or a dance that I have to learn, I actually write it all down before I practice it. So I write down, for, like, a dance, basically, I will write down, like, make my own eight-count sheet, and then I would write down all of the counts or the cheer words and then the motion that goes with it. Um, this helps, I do this with everything really. I, I write it down, it just helps me memorize it easier. And then after I've written it all down is when I actually start to practice it and do the motions myself. Um, and then after I've practiced it with my counts, then I follow the video, if there is one. <laughs> then I do it by myself without the video, and then if there's music, I do it with the music. And I do this um, for hours, <laughs> for, you know, hours or however long I have until I know it as well as I would my competition routine. So I'm sure that no matter how confident you are in your skills, there still must be some anxiety, right, involved mm -hmm. in the tryout. Yeah. How do you deal with that? 
um, I mean, you just need to be prepared. Um, anxiety and nervousness are inevitable in cheer, and you just need to work hard before going to the tryout, but ultimately, it's all about your mindset. It's normal to be nervous, but you just got to remind yourself that you're ready and that you got this. Okay, cool. In your opinion, is there a part of the tryouts that you wish coaches would not do anymore, ever? Um, I mean, I... I guess I always preferred when tryouts were led by someone who wasn't also trying out. Um, I mean, when everyone starts on the same level, basically. With school teams and college teams, most coaches pick their captains beforehand, and it's the captains who are usually leading the tryouts. Um, but I always liked it when it was like a helper or a coach that taught the material and led the tryout, and all the athletes like were learning it together. Oh, yeah, that, that makes sense then it kind of makes you feel like you're on the same playing field, I'm right. sure. It makes everyone seem like more equal and everyone has an equal chance of making the best team or the highest skilled team. Mm -hmm. What do you think about um, judging panels as far as they go where, you know, like in a tryout where you bring in like three or four kids at a time and you try out in front of the... Yeah, from an athlete's perspective, I kind of liked having a judges panel because it pushes you harder to do when you know the coach, especially if you're a returning athlete, you're kind of like, oh, I know what team I'm going to make. I know this coach. They already know what I can do. But for someone who doesn't have any idea who you are, doesn't have any idea what you can do, you just want to prove that you know, you're really good and that you should be on the highest level. So in your opinion, um, what is, is there like a best part of the tryouts or something that you look forward to each season? From an athlete's um, perspective? Tryouts are awesome as an athlete because you've just taken a break from the previous season um, and you're just anticipating the next season. And so it's really great to finally know that the season is starting. And it's also like a foreshadowing, I guess, to like how your season is going to go and what your team is going to be like. And um, it's just really exciting to finally get started again. Yeah. I felt that, especially this past year with COVID. I, <laughs> yeah. I don't think I've ever looked forward to a tryout more than this coming tryout. I know, so, yeah. Should be fun. Cool. So I know um, that the tryout for the NCA staff role is very involved, and you did had to do a lot of work for it. So can you talk to us about that process and how it's different from a regular tryout, maybe? Yeah, so that one was different because it wasn't live. I had to make a video which added a lot more pressure. At a live trial, it's more of a one-and-done situation, but having to record your skills is actually terrible for people who are perfectionists. You just want to keep doing everything over and over because you know it can be better. Nothing I did ever felt good enough. I spent days recording, editing, and cutting videos from a few of my past seasons, and it was like truly exhausting, but I, I guess it paid off, so. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> Yeah, that's interesting because so many tryouts these days are virtual, right, because of COVID. So I wonder how many other people are going through that. Yeah, you know. I mean, it's it's hard because when you're walking into a live tryout, you know you've just got one shot basically and um, you can't do it over. But with a <laughs> recording, you just want to keep doing it multiple times. And I, I feel like people can relate to that, especially with this past season since you know, there was a lot of virtual competitions. And I know as myself, as a coach, I kept wanting my team to do it again because I knew that they could do better. And so that's sort of what it's like trying out for the NCA staff. 
I did exactly the same thing competing virtually this year, too. The first time I did it, I made my team go again and again and again because <laughs> I wanted that perfect shot mm-hmm. and then eventually ran out of time. And then after that, just said we only have two shots, which right. I think was a lot less stress and pressure for me and probably a lot less exhausting for yeah. them. <laughs> so maybe that's a tip for someone if they are doing a video tryout is to just limit the number of times you're going to do it because... Right, yeah. Um, I mean, it's it's never going to be perfect, you know. Um, and what you're putting in your video is probably something you're confident in and probably something you're pretty good at. So one or two tries is most likely all you really need. Yeah. Well, they also had like an essay part too, not an essay part, but like a personality part too about why you wanted to do it, right? Yeah. So that was like a um, interview sort of, but like not really. Um, I had my sister record me basically just talking about what I, why I wanted to be an NCA staff. And so that was actually the easiest part for me because that was a simple answer. I wanted to be a part of the NCA staff because I love to do choreography. I like to coach and I like to work with kids. You know, I've been in cheerleading a long time, so it's just a goal that I had. And so that was the, the easiest thing for me to explain. Mm-hmm. And I think um, when you're picking a topic like that, um, I think you told me once that your interview was remembered by people who chose the NCA staff. Yeah. And probably because you were so authentic, right? Yeah, um, the first day that, so after you try out for NCA, you have to go to like a three-day clinic, basically, where they make sure that you know the material and all that. Um, I was actually recognized on the first day of that. I was given a little like um, America Needs Cheerleaders pin as like, this is what a cheerleader should symbolize, which was um, really cool, but they said it was because of my interview and I didn't have the most skill, obviously, because the NCA staff are pretty amazing. <laughs> but yeah, it was because I wanted to be there because of my passion for cheerleading, because of how much I loved the sport. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep, I get it. Cool. All right. Well, let's change hats and let's talk a little bit about the coaching side of tryouts. And just to uh, level set one more time in your experience here. You've helped run tryouts for middle school, high school, and all-stars, right? Yes. Am I missing anything in there? Mm-hmm. They don't really try out at different levels, right? I don't think so. I mean, I've helped out the youth programs, but they don't really do tryouts for those. Right. Which is a good thing, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. So first, let's talk about what's similar about them, starting with everyone should have like a cheerleader contract, whether they're in high school, middle school, or all-stars. What are some key things um, that you like to put in them in this document for your cheerleaders? Yeah, um, I'd say commitment is probably my number one. Cheer is a lot more time-consuming than people realize. You know, it's like a full-time job, basically. Yeah, it truly is. Actually, our guest last week, Ashley, called it a lifestyle. It, it definitely is. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I completely agree with that. So, yeah, so you would you would put in the document the commitment, you know, like this is X number of practices, this is X number of competitions, right. like that kind of thing. Yeah, and, you know, I would put that, remind the cheerleaders that just because you're not at practice doesn't mean you're not done cheering, you know, or 
Just because you're not at practice doesn't mean you aren't cheering. You need to practice the material at home because you have to come into practice already knowing it. So really, you need to be committed to practicing pretty much every single day, whether you're at practice or not. Yeah, that's a really good point. I know um, in my varsity cheer program, I don't ever go over any game cheers. Like they're given a link to where we keep videos of them. And then we say, that's yours. Learn them all by the first game or you're don't cheer. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Because you've got so much to go over and only two hours of practice or however long you practice is just not enough to do everything. Yeah. That's true. And we do need to let them know that ahead of time. How about um, something like a cheerleader code of conduct? Do you believe in that? Yeah. um, You know, like social media and public appearance, that kind of a thing. Cheerleaders are role models in the community. And whether you want to be or not, you have to uphold the image and be a stand-up citizen. Yeah. And, I mean, you as a cheerleader represent you, the person, but also your team, your school or your gym or, you know, whoever else you're cheering for. So Mm -hmm. that's really important to to go through. I also like to put in a parent code of conduct. (laughs) I don't know um, what you think about that, but, yeah. Uh, You know, cheerleading, unfortunately, our sport is very expensive. And, yeah, I think that's a great idea because the parents have to be just as committed as the kids to bring them to practice, to uh, fundraise or say that they're just going to pay the bills. Yeah, it's definitely important to make sure the parents are 100% in as well. Yeah, and I like to kind of remind parents that they can't sit in the stands and say whatever they want, you know, because there's (laughs) little ears everywhere, you know. Yeah. Um, Kind of interesting. I'm trying to think about what else might go into that document. I know, like, dress code, jewelry policies, like, all that normal stuff, but... I feel like we might have covered the big parts. Yeah, I think so. I think it's overall just um, for any coaches who are trying to make a contract, just think of, you know, what what would you expect from yourself kind of if you were a cheerleader? What do you want people to say about your program and how do you want your kids to represent you basically, you know? Yep. Yeah, very good point there. Um, Okay. So once we've got the document done and we do the pre-tryout meeting, then we then we start tryouts. So what um, is material that you think is a must-have when you're doing a tryout? Um, I would actually say I would teach two dances, um, an advanced dance and an intermediate level one. Um, so the athletes could perform whichever they felt more confident in, and it would also give you an idea of the athlete's motion level, their ability to learn choreography, and also their ambition level. So... Um, Like if you've got an athlete who can tumble like crazy, but they choose to do the intermediate level dance, that probably gives you a sign that maybe they're not as driven to working harder as one of the lower level Mm -hmm. athletes in tumbling. Um, But this will also help kids feel less overwhelmed when they're trying out if they feel super confident in the material that they're performing. Um, I would also, you know... Give a jump sequence, maybe, same thing, an advanced one and an intermediate level one, because you want everyone to feel successful. You don't want anyone going into tryouts being like, oh, God, I'm never going to be able to do all this. Right. (laughs) Um, So making sure that you have two levels, and I definitely wouldn't call them advanced and intermediate. I would say, like, this is dance one, this is dance two, jump one, jump two. And, of course, you know, you, you want them to tumble, but that's not really something you can... Um, you know, have material for. 
And something I would avoid at tryouts when you're making your material is focusing too much on stunting. I've found that a lot of coaches get consumed by stunting. You know, um, you can't plan your team around your stunt groups. You have to know what their abilities are before that. Because let's say this super tiny, super cute flyer walks into tryouts, you immediately start stunting with her and you do all these super elite skills. And then you start, you know, realizing she's brand new to cheer. She can't tumble. She doesn't jump. She has a super hard time learning choreography. That girl does not belong on your more advanced team. So I would avoid stunting until maybe even the last day of your clinic. Right. Yeah. Uh, I completely agree with that, actually. And I think throughout my career, there have been times where I think I've gotten hung up on stunts, too. It's tricky, you know, Mm -hmm. right? Because so much, you know, stunts and pyramids make up like half the score sheets. So you want to make sure people can do it. But you're right. I think I've, I've been burned a couple times by placing a kid on a higher level before they were really ready for it. And then they eventually, what I think is the worst thing is sometimes they'll eventually quit because they can't keep up with the rest of the people. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure for those kids. Um, Some kids are naturally talented and, you know, sometimes you will have that athlete that's brand new and picks it up right away. But um, a lot of the time you want to walk your your new cheerleaders into it because as we talked about before, cheerleading is a huge commitment and sometimes they're just not ready for it. So in tryouts, the first thing you want to do is find every cheerleader's individual strength, their individual ability before you start working on the group part of it. Yep. I, I agree with that. I also like your idea of doing the multi-level, say, dances and things like that, because not just because you can kind of make decisions about how people chose what, but, for example, I have a backspot who I think is maybe the most talented backspot I have ever worked with in my life, but it literally takes her mm-hmm. six times as long as everybody else to learn choreography. Yeah. Once she's got it, she's got it, and she's great. But it she, in a trial clinic... She's not going to pick it up that quickly, right. you know, and then you'd lose this great talent if you couldn't recognize it. So it's kind of nice to give those people an option, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the more confident the kids are walking into their trial clinic, I think the more that you can actually see how they even perform. Because if I was walking into something and I was like, oh, I really don't know this dance, chances are my emotions won't be as good. My performance definitely won't be there. But if, you know, a lower level dance is what you need to bring those kids out of their shell a little bit, then that's exactly what you should do. Yeah, these are great tips. Uh, I really appreciate that. Yeah. So considering all this information and stuff, how long would you do you like to run tryout clinics for? Um, probably at least three days, you know, two hours at a time. Um, I would say I wouldn't go any longer than a week because at that point it's, you know, kind of exhausting. But, yeah, definitely at least three days. And then the third day or the last day, would, however long you choose to do it, would be more of a material, material review and then the opportunity for each athlete to showcase their skills individually. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I like that idea. So I know also, uh, just kind of throwing this out there, in our gym, so we're in the same gym, Supernatural All-Stars, that we talked about running a tryout over the course of a month for some kids, or, mm-hmm. or even the summer, right, for some kids, because the kids that are on the edge or things like that, like, yeah. um, do you still think that's valuable, or do you think that's too disruptive? No, I, I think it's... Um, I think it depends on the athlete, honestly. Um, 
there have been a few kids, you know, that we've personally had a really hard time placing. Um, so I think you have to play it by kid. If I think you need to run that initial tryout, and then if you've got that kid that you're like, oof, you know, they're right on the bubble, run them until, you know, the week before choreography and then be like, okay, this is the team that you're on, if you really need to, because making sure each kid meshes well with their team is one of the most important things about the sport, honestly. it's You can't have a great team if your team doesn't work well together. So making sure that one kid, you know, fits whoever they fit better with is probably the team that they should be on, and sometimes it does take a couple months to figure that out. Yeah, sometimes I feel like it takes longer. <laughs> um, yeah. And yeah, and I feel like every season you run across that one or one or two kids that you're like, ah, oh, what do I do with this one? Yeah. And and also I feel like sometimes too you put kids up on a team or you know like you're trying to give them the opportunity, and some kids will rise to it, but then there are other kids that you know you'll put up and then they'll stop putting in the effort that they did in tryouts too. Yeah. You know, so that's really kind of a a kicker where ho- hopefully this is one way to maybe solve that problem for those kids. Yeah. Um, all right, so earlier we talked about the final tryout uh, ending up in a judging panel. Mm-hmm. And so now from a coach's perspective, what do you think? I still think it's useful. Um, bringing in a judge that doesn't know any of your returning athletes is another great way to level the playing field. Like I said earlier, when you're a returning athlete and someone new comes in to watch you, you automatically are going to work harder. And, you know, as a returning coach, when we know these kids, we may not hold them to the highest standard. You know, if I know a kid has a tuck then and they don't throw it at tryouts, then I may still be like, okay, well, I still want to put them on level three because I know that they can tuck, whereas they only tried out at a level two. So if an athlete does poorly at tryouts, and we know them, you know, we're still going to say, okay, well, they'll work harder in the actual routine. Or if someone, you know, tries that at level two, but we know that they can go level three, we're still going to try to push them to that level three, even though they're not showing us that work ethic at the tryout. So a judge will see that and they'll, sh- they'll basically tell you what teams make the most sense. And because they don't know the kids, so they're going to go, this is this kid's skill level, this is this kid's skill level. And that's a really good eye-opener for you to be like, okay, well, maybe this kid will do better on level two than level three like I thought. Mm-hmm. I do that all the time. I feel like it's because in especially, you know, in All-Stars where you can start with the kids at five, mm-hmm. you know, in a way you like fall in love with your little athletes, you know. Yeah. And so when they get to 14 or 15 and you really want them to make the team they want to make, you know, mm-hmm. but whatever, something goes wrong in tryouts, I'm very guilty of. But like, well. I know she can do it. Right. You know, and sometimes need that other voice. Or sometimes it's like, well, I know she will get it, (laughs) you know. But that's hard with tryouts because maybe you have a new kid that can already do it. Right. You know, and you only have so many spots. If we could put 100 kids on the map, you would. But um, so that's really why an outside judge is really helpful because sometimes it's really hard for us to separate, you know, how much we love the kids to being completely unbiased. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> That's I completely agree with that. So let's say that you have that athlete, though, on the cusp of making the team, and maybe they do have a great work ethic, but they don't quite yet have the skill set 
So what would you do with that? I mean, you take the judge's advice or whatever, mm -hmm. but do you put them up? Do you put them down? I guess it would depend on a few things. First, how close are they from getting the skills? Could you do crossovers? Can you do alternates? And would the alternative to be to cut them if you only had one team? Sometimes it's better to bet on kids with high work ethic. First, I would try to cross them onto two teams, and if they only wanted to compete on one, I'd give them a deadline for getting the necessary skills. Realistically, this deadline is a week or so before choreography, so you have time to figure out your exact stunt groups and, and things like that. Um, if you don't have that option, then I would make them an alternate until they have the skill set. You can always add them into the routine later. So they can be an alternate through choreography, and then if they end up getting the skills, even during competition season, you can put them in. But I definitely wouldn't cut a, a kid with a high work ethic um, if you can avoid it. You know, sometimes yeah. you don't have that option. You only have so many spots. But um, kids who work hard are the ones you want on your team. Yeah. Um, I know a couple years ago I took a chance on a kid. Um, she has one of the strongest work ethics I've ever known, um, Kaylee, and you know she's still working on getting those skills, but mm -hmm. I've never once regretted that decision to to move her up to varsity at a younger age. Right. So. Yeah. I mean, sometimes maybe they won't ever be the most talented athlete you have, but they definitely bring something to the team um, just with their drive to be better. Yep. Absolutely. All right. So flip side, what happens when you get one of those ki kids that has amazing skills? but not an amazing attitude. Um, what is your position on placing those kids? I mean, again, I think it would depend on what your situation is. Um, bad attitudes can be the absolute worst thing for your team. So if you can afford to make them an alternate until they decide to change their attitude, you should. But, uh, you know, let's say you either have a team full of ridiculously talented athletes or a team of pretty low-level athletes. This one kid with a bad attitude but great skill probably isn't going to make your break or your season. And, um, you know, negativity isn't a skill that a coach can change. So if this kid is just going to cause problems on your team, make them an alternate. Again, probably wouldn't cut them unless you absolutely had to. But um, depending on your situation, one kid is not a make or break. Yeah, that's true. And that kind of goes to coaches should know their competition score sheet when placing teams, right? I right. just sort of thought of that. But because those all use a rubric with percentages. Exactly. You, know, you only need so many kids to tumble. You only need so many kids to jump, you right. know, so. And usually it's, it, you know, if you're right on the line, like let's say your um, majority is six and this kid would make six, then I'd definitely make them an alternate and be like, hey, kid, <laughs> you got to yeah. work on your attitude or, you know, you're not competing. But sometimes when you have a bad attitude, it just ruins your whole season. No one wants to work hard. The kids aren't hitting their skills. Everyone is miserable. So at the end of the day, it's, again, depending on what your situation is, but it might just be better to, you know, let that kid go. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, all right, so I know that I have a personal opinion on making cuts, but mm -hmm. what is yours? Um, well, I think cuts should definitely be a last resort. You know, cheerleading isn't everything. These kids choose to cheer because it's fun. It's just an extracurricular activity. You can't go pro in cheerleading, so I don't really think we need to tell anyone they can't cheer. Um, but as a coach, it is our jobs to do what's best for the team and the program. 
And sometimes the best thing is to cut the kid that's not pulling their weight. And generally, I would say that this is weight in terms of attitude and work ethic, not in skill. Um, but if you do cut someone, you'll know right away if it was the right decision based on the energy of your team at your next practice. Yeah, uh, I have seen that many times, actually. Personally, my vision is very similar to yours. I don't necessarily believe in making cuts unless, you know, it's an attitude problem or, you know, somebody that I'm just going to have to force to be there the whole time. I Mm -hmm. hate that. Um, And even still, those kids, sometimes I'll give them a chance for a period of time. But yeah, I agree with you. Like when you have that one kid that's like a toxin to your whole program and then you just they just bring the whole thing down. Right, yeah. And, I mean, giving them a chance is definitely a great thing to do. Um, But definitely make sure that you're limiting when their chance ends um, because, you know, negativity isn't something we can can do anything about. You know, it's 100% in control of the athlete. And if they don't want to be there, they're probably not going to want to be there. And they'll probably just end up quitting. You know, we've seen that a bunch of times too. Mm -hmm. You tell them over and over and over again to work harder, to try harder, to be more positive. You know, you tell them at practice, I know I've said it before, if you don't want to be here, just go home. They never actually go home. (laughs) They quit a couple weeks later when they're like, you know what, I really should have gone home. And then, you know, you're farther into the season and now you're like, oh God, change everything again so um, sometimes you know we can want it for them all day but if they don't want to change their own attitude and push themselves to be better sometimes it's just better to let them go right then and there yeah and I've had some run-ins with some egotistical kids too right and I know um, one season I love being co-ed in high school it's my favorite favorite division in high school. Mm -hmm. And um, you have to, in Massachusetts, you only need one boy to be co-ed. And I know I took this one particular boy who had great skills. You know, he had elite tumbling. He could stunt and everything like that. But he ended up taking, his attitude was so bad. He was so toxic. It ended up just breaking down my entire program. And I wanted to quit too. Like it was the one of the years of my, one of the only years of my coaching career that I felt like, why am I even doing this? Everybody was miserable. And then we cut him and then everything got better, you know, and the program kind of came back and we got super successful again. We had to go all girl, which isn't as much fun, but, but yeah, it made such a difference just to cut out that, you know, toxin, that cancerous person. Right. Yeah. So it's definitely hard. You never want to cut a kid, but um, yeah, exactly what you said. Sometimes it's just what you got to do. Yeah. All right. So you get through the tryouts. And as we all know, some kids are going to be disappointed. Maybe not because they've been cut, but with whatever team they ended up on. Mm-hmm. So walk me through how you have those difficult conversations. Um, so I guess I would start by explaining exactly how we made the decision. Um, and I would tell them what they could work on to make the team the next season. But I would end the conversation with telling them what all of their strengths are and you know what I really liked about what that what they did Um, but you want to be honest with these kids because they have to get the skills themselves so if you're not telling them you didn't make the team because your motions were not sharp 
then they're never going to sharpen their emotions because right. they don't know that that's what they're doing wrong. Um, but, you know, the compliment sandwich is always a, a great, <laughs> great thing to utilize yep. in tough conversations. Um, so you always want to end with with positive things and encourage them to keep coming back. Encourage them to come to your extra classes to, again, if you can have alternates or extra people in your gym, encourage them to be one of those kids. You know, just because they're not competing doesn't mean they can't be a part of your team. Yep, I agree. So in my career as a coach like we just talked about, I have made mistakes in placing a kid. Or um, more likely, I like to think it's not necessarily me, but a kid throws skills at tryouts to make the team and then never again. It's a brain block or, I don't know, a step back or something like that. How do you think that should be handled? Like, would you move them down a level or how do you handle that? Yeah. Um, If it's a skill they tried out with and there was no injury causing the brain block, I would honestly tell them if they're not going to throw it, then they're not going to compete. This may seem kind of harsh, but the skills an athlete tries out with are the baseline of what you should be expecting them from the rest of the season. An injury is different. Um, Of course, if, if a child is injured doing a skill that they're now afraid to do, that's something you just kind of have to work with them on Mm -hmm. um but if they just randomly show up one day and can't tumble anymore that's not that's not okay because chances are someone else tried out for this team that didn't make it because they didn't throw the same skills and maybe they could have gotten it but you gave the spot to this kid who did the skills at tryouts and is now not doing it um So, for example, if an athlete throws back handspring at tryouts, they're telling you that's a skill that they definitely have, and you expect them to start working up from there. That back handspring is now the bare minimum that you should be expecting, so you don't expect them to just go back down to back walkovers and roundoffs. You expect them to be working on series handsprings and tucks and roundoff handsprings and things like that. And if they're not, as a coach, it's our job to push these kids to be better And sometimes telling them, you know, if you're not going to do it, you're not going to compete is the goal that they need to push for. Yeah. Well, sometimes I think about, um, for example, I have a flyer on one of my my adult team. And last year she was competing standing tuck. And she has been coming to the gym this whole time. She didn't take COVID off or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But suddenly she's landing her standing tuck on her face instead of on her feet. You know, and in that case, I wonder, you know, is it a brain brain block like what's going on with her you know yeah so if she's throwing the skill then I wouldn't call that a brain block um in my opinion the way that I view brain blocks are when your your athlete is literally like just standing there and they're like okay count for me I'll do it I hate that and then you count for like 27 eight counts and they're (laughs) still just standing there that's a brain block like they when they just refuse to do it Um, But in the case of a a kid who was landing like a standing tuck and is now not, um, that's just, you know, if she's working on it, she's coming to tumbling, then that's a different story. That's just she (laughs) forgot how to do it. I don't know. (laughs) I know know that you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, it is like a Um, real thing. (laughs) Yeah, No, it definitely is. Um, I don't know. In those cases, it's always confusing, like, why someone would just forget how to tumble. But maybe someone gave her a correction and she can't, it was a wrong correction, yeah. you know, because that's also happens sometimes. And so now she's doing it the wrong way and can't figure out how to re-get her standing tuck. Yeah. 
Yeah, maybe. It would be interesting to know. Just as an aside, we used to have a tumbling coach who wouldn't play that just stand there game. He would say, if I stand here, I spot you. If you don't want me to touch you, then I'm standing over there. And he wouldn't give them the option. And I really thought that was a good, you know, kind of way to force kids to decide, like, if you're really ready, then you're ready. Me standing here with my arms in my or my hands in my pockets is not going to save you. Yeah. So. Yeah, and again, I I do know who you're talking about, and he is one of my favorite tumbling coaches that I've ever even had, and so I kind of model my tumbling instruction after him, too. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm either going to spot you or I'm not. I don't... Sometimes, you know, I have kids on some of my teams where a couple of my assistant coaches will be like, should I just go stand there? And I'm like, no. What what are you going to do standing there? Like, us standing right next to them and standing over here is no different. Right. You know, they're going to throw it or they're not. Us imaginary spotting them is not helpful right you know it's annoying actually (laughs) so so yeah I mean that's the thing if if they're ready to be spotted um or if they need to be spotted then that's different but you know I definitely don't do the please stand there game just stand there just stand there yeah do it do it or don't you know that's (laughs) yep and then if they're not then you know okay then don't compete right so it's you got to do what's best for your team. Yeah. No, I think you're completely right. I think it's it's tough. I find it tough sometimes as a coach, um, but I'm not a, you know, I know I, that's an area I need to improve, right? It's just kind of towing the line, you know, making yeah. sure I'm doing the right thing. So being less of like a mommy, you know, <laughs> more of like a coach. Yeah. Um, all right. So final question. What's more stressful, tryouts as an athlete or tryouts as a coach? Uh, coach, no question. Um, as an athlete, you know what skills you have and what team you want to make. You, Yeah, I mean, it can be really nerve-wracking as an athlete, but you really only have to worry about yourself. And as a coach, you have to worry about everybody. You have to worry about all of the athletes. You, If you have multiple teams in the gym, you have to worry about all of the other coaches. You know, we've all got our eyes on the same kid, so, you know, you have to worry about what team they're going to make, and then you have to worry about what team you're going to make. And you also have to make sure that you're doing what's best for each athlete and for your team, your program. So it's, as a coach, it's kind of like having to guess the future. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's and, an interesting way to say it. And yeah. that, that's what makes it way more stressful. You know, as an athlete, you're focused on you and what you want and what you're going to do. But as a coach, you're <laughs> you're trying to guess what's going to make your season the best. Yeah. Yeah. And you really do have the self-esteem of all of those kids, like, in your hands, too. So <laughs> right. that's another level of it, for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Nessa, for being here. Appreciate your help. Yeah, no problem. This was a lot of fun. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. I hope you found it as informative and entertaining as I did. If you're enjoying the podcast, then please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Cheerleading Junkie, or find us on Facebook as The Cheerleading Junkie, or on Twitter at The Cheerleading One. That's T H E C H E E R L E A D I N, number one. This is Jill Markley, The Cheerleading Junkie, saying, see you next week.